So the NICU has a very complex dynamic of different people, different families, different parents that are really trying to navigate probably the hardest situation in their Mm -hmm. entire life and having to navigate that in a very isolated space where there's not a lot of support systems. There's not a lot of ability to congregate, talk with other parents about what they're going through. And it really is a very scary situation. This is a Therapy for Dads podcast. I am your host. My name is Travis. I'm a therapist, a dad, a husband. Here at Therapy for Dads, we provide content around the integration of holistic mental health, well-researched evidence-based education, and parenthood. Welcome. Welcome, everybody, to this week's episode of the Therapy for Dads podcast. I'm excited to have this conversation. We have not talked about this yet on this show, but it is such an important conversation and one that looking at it from perspective of being a father when we experience this. But before we jump into the episode, I first want to introduce the guest, and that is Adam. So welcome, Adam. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate you. Yeah. So where are you calling in from? Where are you at? I'm from Connecticut. Connecticut. So we are on the opposite end of the earth, not the earth, sorry, the United States. <laughs> oh, look, <laughs> you feel like that sometimes. way. It is a long way away. And, uh, you know, I love this piece of this podcast is that we, I have been able to connect with men and women across the world, literally across the world, across the United States and in Europe and Canada and all over the place, kind of uniting these conversations and finding that there's a lot of people out there doing amazing things, trying to help and bring resources and healing and support to men and fathers. And and Adam is one of them. And I don't know how we, I forget who stumbled upon who, but we began talking and it's one of those things that I think like a lot of things in life, you don't, you don't really under, realize how often or how regular some things happen in life until it happens to you or your family goes through it. And then you realize, actually, this is kind of more common than you think, a higher percentage than you think. And so the conversation tonight is really about one, the, the NICU and having a baby and premature baby. And then with that is kind of the support or gaps of support for men and fathers. So Adam, you know, let's just begin the conversation with that. So what are some of the stats first and foremost about kind of the NICU and premature babies? Well, it's estimated in the United States alone that's one in nine children will be born premature to some degree. So prematurity typically is any child that's born 36 weeks or earlier. Anything past 36 weeks is considered a full-term a full-term pregnancy and usually has very little complications and stays. But one of the other things that a lot of people don't really realize is that they think often with the NICU, it's premature babies. But 60% of the babies in the NICU are actually full-term babies that have all kinds of medical issues. And those could be kids with heart issues, brain issues, developmental issues, diseases that are born that way. So the NICU has a very complex dynamic of different people, different families, different parents that are really trying to navigate probably the hardest situation in their Mm -hmm. entire life and having to navigate that in a very isolated space where there's not a lot of support systems. There's not a lot of ability to congregate, talk with other parents about what they're going through. And it really is a very scary situation. Yeah, I, I, I have not had the experience of that personally. I've had friends and other family members go through it. And I, and as you said that, yeah, I, I can only imagine how terrifying and scary all those things could be, especially when we all have expectation of birth is supposed to be 
an ex, you know, great experience. You know, we have some idea of what can happen, but we often aren't thinking of that's going to be me going to the NICU or having or having to have these complications. But it's more common than we think. And so I'm wondering, how did you get involved with even this kind of this passion or this this heart to help those in these situations? Well, after we were in the NICU and our son was born 25 weeks, so he was 15 weeks early. Hmm. He weighed just over one pound, so he's one pound four ounces. And he was about 10 inches long. We spent 135 days in the NICU here in Connecticut. And it was a, you know, a very difficult, long journey for us, a lot of ups and downs and highs and lows. But throughout that process, I, I just realized that there was a gap in a lot of things, a lot of resources in books, materials, therapeutic access for people, ability for them to be able to talk with individuals that understand what they're going through. And you're just kind of really find that you're in a kind of an isolated space and a lot of people are searching for answers. So one of the things that I started to do is say, you know, to try to create a space that people could come to, they could share their stories, they could talk about what's going on. They could listen to other parents that are at different phases in their journey, whether they're in the NICU, they've been out for a year, two, 10 years. And it's amazing how much they're willing to share their stories, even when it's traumatic for them to relive that because they're helping other people. Hmm. So I, I've created kind of platforms. I've created websites that really is about sharing information, finding different people that are resources and kind of paying it forward and, and saying, you know, come check this place out or reaching out to parents and saying, you know, there are nonprofits locally near you that can help you and support you. Linking with other parent networks, with dad networks, finding them all over. I found dad networks that are in the UK, over in Australia. And so whenever I find parents that kind of come to me and find me either through websites or social media, I steer them in the direction and try to get them the support they need because it's really just about paying it forward and helping those parents and kind of setting yourself up in a position where you're helping somebody that maybe you didn't have the help for. And mm -hmm. I think it's really helpful when you're able to do that and make something positive out of the experience and allow a parent to have their experience be a little bit less scary than what you had for you. Mm -hmm. you. You mentioned isolation a few times as you were talking. Was that something that you experienced kind of going through, like having a premature child and being in the NICU for, what, 135 days, you said? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you something that you experience personally? Yeah, it's certainly. I mean, that's with every parent that's in the NICU, everybody that has a premature child, they've probably talked with over a thousand different parents over the last mm. few years and with through talking with them through interviews, through foundation events and all of that. And the one thing that they always say is it's isolating. It's alone, mm. mostly because of, you know, the fact of you're in these different areas, you're secluded from other families. There's a lot of HIPAA laws that even prevent you from even going over when a family says it's okay to talk to them. So sometimes mm -hmm. you'll see a parent and you'll just kind of have to do the nod, the wink, the thumbs up because HIPAA won't even allow you to come over and support them, which is kind of, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's hard and difficult. And then you take on top of that, the last three years of COVID, yeah, yeah. even more isolation for those families. While we didn't have to deal with that when we went through in 2018. I've had family members. I've had friends. I just did a, a interview with a, a young lady who had COVID. Her husband had COVID and then they were in the NICU and had to be oh. isolated from their child. So for 19 days, they couldn't even go to the NICU to see their child. And on oh. top of that, both of them couldn't be there at the same time to support each other. So imagine having to go to the NICU and not have your significant other with you, your partner, 
to hold your hand, to be there, to cry on. And you're having to, you know, spend seven, eight, 10 hours alone with that mm. baby hearing all the alarms, the doctors. So it's even more scary with everything we've had with the pandemic. And you've just, you talk about the lasting effects of what it's done across the world. And that's one area and community that probably not a lot of people realize how difficult it was on your, the connection to your child in the beginning, your ability to hold them, to read to them, to touch them, to do all the things you're supposed to do mm. as a parent is so meaningful to their growth and development. And in many ways, it's it's could mean whether or not they live or die. Mm. The, the studies show that overwhelmingly, the more impact the parent has by their care, by holding them through skin-to-skin contact on their chest, on their body, through reading, through music, through any interaction with the parent, even just smelling them, has overwhelming effects on the the long-term growth, development, and whether or not they do end up surviving. Because Hmm. in the NICU, you can have a lot of families that have very similar circumstances, and one child may progress and eventually go home, and another child may be there for for a very long time or unfortunately not survive. And Hmm. I saw that many times where we would see families and you know, they would be on the same machines as we were. They had the same situations, same doctors. They were there all the time. And, you know, what changed and what had a d- different dynamic from baby to baby, one will never know. But the one thing we do know is that the interaction of parents in the care of their child in the early stages is monumentally important. Every NICU doctor, every nurse, anybody that's in that field will tell you it has a lasting effect more than you will ever realize. And I think that's one thing that a lot of parents who don't have children that are premature or, or babies that are in the NICU that are sick don't realize how crucial those little things that you're doing and you kind of take advantage of in the beginning of being a parent, you know, holding your child and being able to do that. There's so many families that it could be weeks or months before they even gave mm. to hold them for the first time. So it's, it's yeah. a very isolating experience. And that's kind of why I've done a lot of the things I've done with writing books with social media accounts, with interviewing families, with connecting with a variety of people through so many platforms, is to make them understand that you're not alone. Mm. I feel the same things you feel. I think the same things that I went through are funny too. I use a lot of humor with that because it's a way for me to cope. It's a mechanism that I think a lot of us identify with. And when I'm able to make somebody laugh and say, yeah, that was a really bad day, but to see another parent that sees it the same way I do, it makes them feel seen. And I think mm. that's a hard thing to do. And it's important to feel seen. And when yeah. these families are able to connect with people, even through social media, thousands of miles away, they never met. I think it's a very crucial part to being able to navigate the NICU and eventually be able to process that, to get through that and eventually come to terms with everything they went through. Yeah. And it, you're right, taking it for granted, I mean, there's so many things you said that I want to definitely have you expand on. But the thing that stood to me initially that I felt like in my body was just that not being able to hold your kid or be near them, or even the, the family that going through COVID, like really that separation and how, in a way, not that I took it for granted to hold my kids, but I didn't, I didn't have to have the experience of not being able to hold my kid for 19 days or touch them or smell that, like all those things that... I was doing, not even thinking about it, maybe unintentionally taking it for granted, but that to me was normal. It's like, I didn't think it, there was no grid for that for me. So to me, hearing that, I'm just like, I can't, I can't imagine. I can't imagine how that must feel in feeling like wanting to do something and I can't and the isolation and you mentioned the HIPAA laws, you can't even, 
you see someone hurting, you want to support, but you can't talk to them and how awkward that must feel like help. I don't know if helpless, like, what do I do with this? Like, how do I, can you speak a little bit more of like, so you mentioned isolation. What are some of the other experiences or things you, you mentioned alarms and all these sounds? Like what are some of the experiences that you can maybe give some, a little bit of a window to for people that haven't had that experience? Well, you know, besides the isolation, it's, it's an overwhelming amount of information being thrown at you. And mm. you, you think about that is that there's people from all walks of life, all backgrounds, all education, all cultures around the world that are going through the exact same thing. And again, it's, it's while we may have different cultures and different opinions, we all suffer through the same things universally, unfortunately. Mm. We all deal with it. We all deal with the grief and the, and the, and the anguish and the pain and the anxiety the alarms are a big part of that. You, the, the hard part is you're watching your baby and you have all these wires going into them. You have all these tubes going into them. You have these bright lights. You have these dim lights. You have alarms all around you going off with other babies. You have mm. a nurse that's just inches away from you constantly sitting there just dedicated to your child. And while it's comforting, it's also scary because mm. they, you know that you need somebody to be that close to them for so long till they be able to get better. And there's constant change, constant back and forth. It's it's a roller coaster ride. We all, every NICU parent will tell you that the NICU is a roller coaster. It's ups mm. and downs. It's highs, it's lows. It's coming in in the morning, and you're living the best day of your life because your child is progressing and they're doing great, and all their numbers mm. come back. And you go down to, to grab something from the cafeteria. You come back. And the entire team surrounding your baby. Mm. And it's just so quickly how things can change. Yeah. So your body is physically and emotionally wiped out. It feels like you ran a marathon, especially mm. the first week or two. I consider myself to be somebody that's in, in great health, served in the military for 20 years. So I'm, I'm used to that regiment, my body being able to put through stuff. I never felt more exhausted than those first few weeks because you can't get enough sleep. You can't fall asleep when you get home. All you're thinking about is, you know, if the call comes in, what's going to happen? And hmm. those first few weeks, you're also just constantly like talking with the doctors and hoping that you're not going to get a phone call to like come to the hospital now. And, and you're not sure if something's going to happen to them. And I think as a, as a dad, you feel very useless because mm -hmm. one of the main things as, as men and as fathers, we are supposed to be protecting our spouse and we are supposed to be protecting our children. And you can't do either there. There's mm -hmm. nothing you can do to say to the doctors or to say to God or to say to the universe, hook me up to all the machines, let my wife, mm -hmm. let my child be okay. Let me take that. And I think most men out there and, and fathers would do that. They would take all of it so that their kid can just have a nice, easy stay. But that's not how it works. And you mm -hmm. find yourself trying to figure out what can I do? And you kind of sit there and you feel like you're just a, a paperweight for a bit and you don't mm -hmm. know what you can do. You don't know what to say to your partner. Mm -hmm. You don't know what to say to the doctors. You're trying to keep all your emotions in check. And I think that's a big part of what men and dads do is they have a, you know, a poker face the entire time they're there. The emotions that they present to their spouse, the emotions they present to others is not reflective of what they are really dealing with on the inside, but they're never going to say anything about it. They're never going to reveal that because we don't want to put any more pressure, any more stress on our partner. We want to support them because they're going through 
even worse, probably stressed than we are, because with moms, often it's guilt. And no matter what you tell them and no matter what the doctor says and the nurse and the practitioners and the therapists that come there and the support and say you did everything right and it's not your fault that your child is sick or premature, mm. they blame themselves. Mm. They'll blame themselves for the the fruit they ate or the burger they ate or mm. they go into all these things where they blame, blame, blame themselves. And just it takes them a while, if ever, to really get to the point where they say, it's not my fault. It happens. And I think it's important for, you know, people to talk about it. And that's one of the reasons I do talk a lot about it is because I think people need to understand that your emotions, your feelings, we're all feeling the same thing as you're feeling. Moms are feeling that. Dads are feeling that. It's not your fault. And I think when we can normalize those feelings and talk about it out loud, it helps other parents in real time mm. when they come across a podcast, they come across a video, they come across the post on social media they can sit there and say, I felt like that. I'm not the only one. I'm not mm. weird. I'm not crazy. It's it's normal. And it, you have yeah. to normalize the emotions and the ups and downs of, of yeah. that experience so that people can process it, get through it, and hopefully recover. Yeah. And I'm wondering for you, and then I want to talk, we'll transition to some of the gaps and some of what you've been doing, which I think is so important to kind of fill these gaps and seeing a need. And I'm wondering if you could speak to, at least from your experience, you mentioned... I think in one hand, the how men will in this situation probably get into kind of their own survival mode just to function. I'm wondering if to probably some degree, there might be some themes you can pull from this that I think men might be feeling or experiencing underneath this kind of stoic, armored, right, persona that I think men are feeling isolated from, which is I know why you're trying to help men because men need support too. Mm-hmm. And we've, we've talked about this is that I guess what was some of the things that you were feeling that you didn't initially communicate early on? One of the things, the big thing was guilt. And mm. you normally don't think that, but the good majority of men that are experiencing children that are premature and, and also babies that are sick in the NICU, but most often it's premature children is we are often thrust into a role that we typically are not seeing when it comes to child rearing and childbearing and, and, and those circumstances where normally the mom gets an opportunity to hold the baby, connect with the baby. They call that the golden hour, you know, that time after. And it's a, it's a positive and it helps the baby in so many ways and a healthy baby. Mm-hmm. With our son, as an example, my wife had a C-section, so we didn't get to see him. We didn't get to hear him when he was born. We had no... He had no none of lung capacity to make a sound. Hmm. So they rushed him to a next room and they said, do you want to see your son? And my wife was obviously no in no ability to do that. And I would contemplated not doing it because I felt the guilt of my wife already being robbed of all the hmm. joys of being a parent, being pregnant, never got a baby shower, didn't even paint anything. Hmm. You're so early. You're not prepared didn't get to do all the things and, and was living really more in the last few weeks of the pregnancy, so many ups and downs and, and uncertainties if she would even be able to carry the child. Hmm. So I'm robbing her yet again of a first that she's going to look forward to and every mom looks forward to. And the dad being able to see the baby first, not that's not common. You know, hmm. you don't see that very often. And part of me said, I, I just don't want to rob her. But the other part of me was you know, what if this is the last time and I don't know mm. what's going to happen because when you're thrown into that situation and your son's 15 weeks early or, and you don't know any of the stats, what it even looks like, I, I had no clue what a child like that small looked like. No mm. clue. If I thought he would be underdeveloped, 
He would look like he had, didn't even have formed limbs completely yet. I mean, there's still so much to do. So I really, in my mind, I had this completely scary scenario that I was trying to keep to myself. So I, I got a chance to see him. I got a chance to go down and see him in the NICU. And then at the same time, in those experiences, the dad is often communicating back to mom how the baby's doing. We're typically mm-hmm. in reverse. You know, the mom might be keeping the dad up what's going on. Maybe the dad goes home with the other kids or just whatever. That's a different situation. So the dynamic kind of shifts a little bit. And I find myself also having to take ownership, leadership in the situation, having to take point on a lot of things with the medical care, the team, being able to be up there around rounds with the doctor so that my wife could really just focus on being a mom mm. and not focus on all that stuff. And, and I think yeah. that was an important piece to be able to help be a part of the care and be impactful at that point when I felt like I really wasn't able to be. Mm. And a lot of it was also being scared. I'm scared mm. out of my mind for her, for him. Yeah. But again, you, you're not showing that. You're trying to be cool, calm, and collected because your baby and your and your wife, they feed off that emotion. So if you're able to keep that emotion in check, even if you're crying in the bathroom, even if you're screaming in your car, whatever you're doing away from everybody else to get you through that moment of that day, that's fine. But at the end of the day, when you walk through that door, when she sees you and you're coming back, you need to be able to have everything in check so that she feels that and she's comfortable. And if she's comfortable, that's going to portray onto the baby and the babies can pick up on that emotion because when you hold them, especially there, I could see the numbers and the stats on the monitor up and down. And when I had anxiety and when I was scared, it reflected in that his numbers mm. would dwindle when I was feeling great and happy. His numbers were never higher than it ever been before which again goes back to the importance of the skin-to-skin contact mm-hmm. and the importance of dads being involved in that as much as moms and having mm-hmm. that impact on them and holding them and being part of the care because it does it does help them so much with their development. And I think that's an opportunity that not a lot of men get to take part in. And there are some positives to being in those situations because you know you were never meant to see a baby born that early. But you get to see this baby develop and grow in ways nobody else has. And you develop an appreciation. And you said before, like, you know, I, I would know. And I'm glad you don't know that. I'm, I don't want anybody to feel like, oh, you know, I'm taking it for granted. I'm glad that you don't have that feeling because I, I don't want anyone to, to sit there and say I'm, I'm guilty about it. I appreciate what I have. I appreciate it even more. And hopefully other people realize and listen and say, you know, I appreciate it, too, because because you're going to have those days where you're going to look at your kid and they're going to be a pain, but you're going to think back and say, you know, I remember when we were in the NICU or I remember hearing about a situation that a parent went through and I'm glad we didn't have to go through that. And you appreciate things a little bit better. And I think Mm. the NICU puts things into perspective in a very real way that you never thought possible. Yeah. What were some of the other, because you've talked with men about this, other dads and what are, you mentioned scared and guilt. Is there like two or three other themes that you've noticed that you've heard like kind of repeated that kind of what was behind that calm, cool, and collected that guys were keeping in check? Some of those other kind of more difficult, distressing emotions that you're like, yeah, okay, these are, these are, I'm seeing these repeated. Can you speak to a couple more of those? I, I think for, for dads, some of the other emotions, they kind of tie into guilt. It's, it's finding the balance. I think there's also the, the, 
the guilt of having to go back to work. A lot mm. of guys, a lot of men have to go back to work because they might be the primary provider. They might be on the insurance and baby can't survive without the insurance. So right. I've got to go back to work and mom might stay there and be with the baby all day long. And then you're coming in maybe a few hours a day if you're lucky, depending mm. on the situation. I've had dads that work a 12 hour day, drive an hour and a half to the NICU at night to spend 45 minutes to drive mm. back home and start it all over. Oh. So it's the guilt of that because you're, you're wondering if not spending enough time is the reason why they're not going to improve. And God forbid yeah. something happens. You always have that in the back of your mind. Like, was I not invested enough? And I oh. think that's a big part of that is, you know, trying to find the balance that we have to be able to be there to be as a provider, to be there for our partner to balance the baby's needs. And then at some point along the way, find out how to balance your needs. And mm. I think, you know, guilt just plays a large portion of that. Yeah. I think, you know, anger plays a part in it too. Mm. Being angry at life, being angry at the situation, being angry when other parents are able to come home before you. Mm. And that's a normal one. And I, I kind of talked to a lot of people about that. It's okay to be jealous and to be angry sometimes in the moment. You have mm. to be able to sit back and say, you know what, God bless them that they're able to go home and I hope that's gonna be us soon. And I know another family is probably gonna look at us when we leave and do the same thing. And it's a repetitive cycle that we all go through. And that's a big part of what I also talk with parents about and dads and moms. It's okay to feel that. You're not a bad person. You're not mm. a horrible person for feeling like, why can't my son or daughter who's been here for three months longer, go home and this baby mm -hmm. doesn't have to because everyone has their own, their own, they're fighting their own battles. And mm -hmm. often we find out that a lot of these other babies that go home earlier, yeah, they can breathe, they can do other stuff and yeah, they're, they're good to go home. But a lot of times you'll find out that they have a lot of ailing diseases, issues that are far worse that you can't see mm -hmm. that are under the surface. And mm -hmm they have a much longer journey ahead of them. So you have to be thankful for all that as well. So yeah. there's so many emotions that, that yeah. go into it. it. It's so much balance that you're trying to find. It's such a hard, it's such a hard thing to do is to find the balance in everything and not lose yourself and not lose your cool. And I think for the most part, men do a pretty good job of it. But what they don't do a great job is they don't talk to other people about it. Mm. and they don't talk to, you know, friends or family. They may never talk about it out loud. And I think women sometimes look at that and say, well, he wasn't that invested or he was too, you know, how could he be so callous? And, and in reality, they compartmentalize a lot and they, they just don't process it. And sometimes it just takes them years to do so. Mm. And that's one thing I, I do encourage dads to, to do is talk yeah. to somebody about it. Even if you don't think you need it, you know, talk to somebody that's been through it, talk to a therapist, yeah. talk to a family friend, somebody. Well, you mentioned, it sounds, you know, I know you served in the military, it kind of sounds like the NICU is in a way is like a battlefield. Oh, most definitely. So how does that, how does it relate then? And what are some similarities that you've like between NICU and battlefield that you could say, yeah, this is definitely similar here. There's, there's a, there's overlap between these two. Well, I think, you know, with the, with the military and the NICU, they're very regimented. So, you know, with the hospitals, you definitely have a regimen of, you know, this gets done, this gets done by the book every hour. And it's very regimented that way. 
where your nurses and doctors are treating them and they might react to certain things and, and medications. But overall, the day kind of is the same day every single time, regiment, regiment, regiment. You know, you have doctors and nurses that are working hard, just like in the military and the battlefield. You have doctors and nurses trying to keep, you know, everyone alive. They're triaging. They're trying mm. to go to this baby, to that baby. Yeah. And, you know, there's times where it's very chaotic. You know, things are going off. Everything's going off yeah. around you. And you've just got to figure out what can I impact immediately right now? What's right in front of me? And then mm-hmm. kind of work your way back from there. And you know, I guess a lot of what the military taught taught me is being able to compartmentalize situations, high stress. And I think that helped a lot in the NICU. But a lot of people don't have that ability. Mm-hmm. They don't maybe they have that skill set to do that. And for me, that allowed me to be able to process things a little bit different than the average person. So, you know, in the military, we use, you know, our sense of humor sometimes in very rough, horrible situations when we're dealing with death, we're dealing with injuries, you use humor, you use whatever means to be able to cope with that. And then and now, and then figure mm-hmm. that stuff out later. But yeah. the military, I mean, it's, it's definitely all about the regiment. And I think that was pretty much the NICU every single day. Mm-hmm. It was just a it felt like it was a repeat every single day, but the people that were there were truly amazing. Mm. And the doctors and the nurses, they save so many people's lives mm. and so many kids' lives, and they give so many families a second chance yeah. and, and many times just a first chance at life. And yeah. so I'm thankful to, for, for, to them. I, I can't thank them enough. I can't give enough thanks to them for what they did because there were so many times where we thought it was just going to be the end for our son and, and that Mm -hmm. was going to be it. And unfortunately, or fortunately that wasn't the case, but there are a lot of families, unfortunately that have to deal with that loss and it's very painful. And yeah, yeah. You know, I would want to be in their shoes and I don't envy them in any situation at all. Yeah. I I wouldn't either. And in, in, as you're talking about too, with the military, all the alarms going off, it's like you're in constant survival mode. Like, what does this mean? Almost like, is this a, threat is a safe threat it's like danger it's it's you know, fight it's or like, flight yes yeah, you're constantly fight or flight or numbing or, or disconnecting to survive and the compartmentalization and you had this training to probably helped you kind of better navigate that because you're in a way have been trained to like you said military i know about military training is that they do they teach you how to handle fight or flight essentially to navigate that by compartmentalization which is a skill set and now for a short break So if you're looking for ways to support the show and my YouTube channel, head on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash therapy for dads. There you can make a one-time donation or join the monthly subscription service to support all that I'm doing at the intersection of fatherhood and mental health. And all the proceeds go right back into all the work that I'm doing into production, into continue to grow the show to bring on new guests. So again, head on over to buymeacoffee.com forward slash therapy for dads. Thanks. And let's get back to the show. Now to flip that while compartmentalization and survival mode in NICU is part of, I think, just navigating it. You mentioned something, and this is then when I think where you came in to really see the gaps of service, especially for men, is that, okay, well now what? You know, okay, so we got through it or we're in it, but how do we get out of compartmentalization and survival, but get from here to then actually like healing and restoration and processing. So let's let's pivot here. So what were some of the things that you are seeing? You kind of hinted earlier that this is actually what we need to do to kind of heal from this and move forward, especially for men. Or here's some services I see that we need to provide 
for men and not just for men, for women too, but specifically like there's, there's something that's missing for men. And so what are some of those things that you're doing and are some of those areas that we need to improve in? So first and foremost, the areas that we kind of need to improve in, there's, there's just not a lot of services in hospitals for, for parents and a lot of times in general, whether it's funding, whether whatever it may be. Sometimes there are local organizations and nonprofits in an area that fill those gaps in. There's a bunch of them that I've affiliated with, I've become really good friends with, and I always try to share that with parents, whether they're, they help nationally, they help worldwide, maybe they serve as a small community in a different part all throughout the United States. So I try to direct them there and just a lot of them have, these are parents that have built a nonprofit and understood Mm -hmm. a gap and said, we don't have stuff for parents. Maybe it's care packages, maybe it's financial assistance, maybe it's peer-to-peer networks where they can talk with parents. So some of them have set that up, but we're not quite there where we have a large enough network. And I think the peer-to-peer is, is, is twofold is important because not only are you helping somebody else, but you're also processing, going through, giving back. And it, I think it helps repair you mentally to be able to help somebody else that there's a need going through that same situation. So I think that's a, a very important piece. And I do encourage people when they're comfortable to potentially do that as a way to give back, to mentor mm-hmm. family, to talk with them, maybe because you didn't have that as well. But with men especially, there's very little that it targets them in general from even the nonprofits. I work with a number of them and they're st- they start small. They've got one meeting maybe a month. They've got one every few months. And mm-hmm. we as men, we're, we're busy, we're working. Try to get us to go to a once a month meeting and maybe be able to get that. You're probably not going to be able to do that. So mm. I've just found that a lot of the focus on online, on social media, it's moms and understandably so. They've got a lot of things going on. Just not a lot of stuff is focused on dads. Not a lot of people are talking about dads and not a lot of people are talking about how they can impact in a positive mm. way, what they might need. And I think one of the things that I've been trying to do is is talk about that, whether it's on podcasts, whether it's I talking about it on Instagram on lives where it's just myself talking with other people. I've talked with other dads and had them come on and share that and provide an insight into what men are feeling and going through at different parts in the journey. And hopefully that opens up eyes to organizations, hospitals, even even the, the wives of these of these husbands being able to see, oh my God, is that what my husband is feeling? Like I, he's never articulated to me, but there's been three or four dads and I'm watching and I'm I'm listening to this podcast now and he's talking about all these things that I just never really thought were possible. And now they're able to go back and have those conversations with them and say, were you feeling guilt? Were you feeling anger? It's okay now to talk about that. I appreciate you being so strong during that period, but maybe let's have that conversation and maybe it opens that up a little bit. And hopefully down the road, we will have more focus and maybe more men will take part of that. And I think the other part of that, the other side is that we've got to encourage men to, once the lifeline is thrown out to you, once the resource is there, take it. Mm. There are so many men that will not take the resource. And and you know all too well mm. that it's hard sometimes to get men to talk about their feelings and to be vulnerable. That's something yeah. that we fight every day to like, no, nope, I don't need to be vulnerable. Right. But because it's important why? to do what's that. Because what's the barrier that you, you know, why'd you say that? I don't want to talk about it because why? I was, I, I think I was kind of the exception with that. I didn't mind talking about it because one of the things I realized early with my wife is it was important to communicate hmm. and to be able to share with her 
what I was feeling. So if I had a, a hard day, I just would look at her and say, listen, mm. I'm going to be the rock for you every single day. But today you need to be it just mm. today. And yeah. that communication piece is so critical, right. but it doesn't happen with most couples. Yeah. So what do you hear um, a lot of men saying? Like, what's one big reason why they don't want to talk about their emotions that you've it, heard from? It's, it could guys? be it's a lot of its upbringing. You know, the, their parents, their dad, the same way that they were growing up. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's it's their job. You know, maybe they work in a field that's you know very demanding physically. You know, where talking about your feelings is seen as a weakness. Sure. So you know, if you're military firefighter, you're working in construction. I mean, just imagine the number of fields. You know, again, it's one of those things where you got to kind of break the stigma and it's okay. Like you're in a very unique situation. Even those guys will understand if you talk to somebody about that and you're getting it off your chest. Mm -hmm. I don't think they'll fault you for that. But I think there's a plethora and I think it's unique to every man. Sure. But for whatever the reason, and you know all too well, there are so many reasons why guys will just not talk about it. Mm -hmm. I think just the, the, the main thing is they don't want to feel weak. And they don't they don't want to give in and say, if I give you anything, it's going to be used against me. Sure. I mean, there's so many rationale to why we don't talk about things. We don't share things. We feel it's going to be used against us in some capacity. Maybe not this situation, but I think a lot of men look at that and say, nope, I'm not giving you any ammunition to talk about this or bring this up. Yeah. But at the end of the day, it's important for them, their mental health and their relationship. If you don't communicate, you don't get the mental health, you can and you don't get the necessary resources, you can't be a good dad and you mm. can't be a good partner, you know, and that's the important part. Yeah. When you're not taking care of yourself, everything in your life falls by the wayside, your job, mm. your interests, your health. And I just think that more dads need to take ownership of that. And they also need to take ownership that they can be impactful in many more ways than they realize. And by doing that, it's a, it's a sign of strength, not a sign mm. of, yeah. Weakness. Conforming to, you know, gender roles or not conforming to gender roles. I think I've seen plenty of big burly tattooed guys with a little tiny baby on their chest and come out of it and said, you know what, like I can do this. I can be in part of their care. And they became better parents, I think, out of it because they had to do so much more of it in a very adverse environment. And they appreciate things a little bit more differently than the average person. So you know, the NICU can be something that can be positive depending on how you look at it and where you're at in your journey hmm. as well. Yeah, I, definitely a perspective that I don't think a lot of people would understand, right, is that it can be positive in the sense of you could take away something that a learning experience or if you're a guy like, wow, this is actually important to connect and be emotional and, and vulnerable and actually how this helps my child or my partner or Right. And, and going to what you said earlier, too, if we don't talk about these things, if we don't care for ourselves, if we don't ever address the trauma of what we experienced, it doesn't go away. It comes out in our job and our partnership or relationships or with our kids that it just it just or affects, you know, our friendships. It affects our yeah. ourselves. Right. Just day to day, like it starts to affect everything. And so we need that. And some of that is by creating resources because there really isn't enough. Right. It's like once a month. So you were saying we need more resources in the hospital. We need groups. We need men. We need mentors like guys have been through it to mentor other guys to be there to listen who have who've gone through the experience. Is there any other resources that you're thinking or needing that you're doing? That I think we could change in our system. I think, you know, the resource material, I think the hospitals could be more focused on bringing in the dad involved in the care. Yeah. And, and from that perspective, 
when the social workers are there, when when the nurse is there. And that's one thing I've, I've done quite a bit of is, is talk with a lot of nurses and healthcare workers, especially those that kind of follow me on social media and with the things I do is to, you know, let them say, hey, bring the dad in, you know, mm. pull him in. Even if the dad's sitting in the back, let him get involved, ask him if he has any questions. And even, you know, when mom walks away, hey, how are you doing? Just check in with them. Yeah. You know, how's everything doing? Those little things that you can do. Some As men, I don't think we need as much. The little things are what matter to us a lot of times the most. We don't need constant check-ins every single time. Some people do. I think it's the little things that people do that mean the most to us. And it, right. it just gets us through those those points. What does it mean when when a nurse checks in on a dad? Like, what does that communicate? Do you think for from you for for you or for the men you've talked with? I think when they you know they check in with a dad, it, it means that they're invested in not only their child but the entire family dynamic, hmm. and it's important because when you're there, especially if you're going to be there for a long period of time, that staff becomes to be like family. You get to know them, they get to know you, and you can't help but have a dynamic like that. So I think hmm. for for me. You know, I've had nurses that got me through a lot of things and, you know, pulled me aside and or just knew I was going to have I was going to break down. I was having one of those days and would say, hey, can you help me grab something out of you know the closet? And they didn't need help, but they just gave me an out to be able to walk away, to break down a little bit away from things and come back to the situation. I've had doctors that have talked to me, you know, one on one pulled me aside and said, you know, how's everything doing? Is there anything we can do? Hmm. And then there's been others that, you know really didn't care to talk too much about that. And I think everyone's different. I think you can change their perspective a little bit at a time, doctors and nurses and how they do things. And I think there is, you know, there's more we can do, but I think you can just change a little bit at a time. The more people you talk to, the more people you communicate kind of what is going on in, in these situations. Maybe they, they really weren't aware of that. Maybe that's something they're not talking about. They're not teaching in healthcare, they've got so much going on. So I think you can educate a little bit of people and maybe they pay it forward. And they mention that, you know, hey, mm -hmm. during rounds today, let's make sure we're checking in with both parents. Mm -hmm. And those are little ancillary things we can do progressively change. Rome wasn't built in a day, you know, and again, I think the piece is just to make sure that we're also encouraging men to, to talk with their, their partners as well and to be able to be open with them and to communicate with them when the time's right. It mm -hmm. may not be in the NICU. Uh, and maybe when you get after, home yeah, a few months know. later and yeah. say, you know, I've been holding some things in. Can we talk? Mm -hmm. And you should be able to talk with your partner because that's the person that you love the most. You you, you vowed to spend your life with them. Yeah. If you can't communicate with them, you've got other problems. But I think you should be able to communicate and just say, I want you to know it's been really hard. Mm -hmm. Here's what I've been struggling with. And I just want you to know that if I've been presenting as moody or angry or depressed. It's just, I've been trying to keep it in to, to be good for you. But I also mm. realized that that's not healthy either. And right. a lot of times women and, and, and wives will say, Oh my God, I'm glad you told me that because yeah. I've been, I've been wondering, and now I know it's not me. Now I know it's, you've just been trying to hold it all in for me or for our family. And they're more than happy to take the work, the load off of you yeah. and allow you to do maybe a few more things for yourself. And I think men have to also do that is take more time for yourself to do the little things that make you happy. You know, you got to find what, what makes you happy and joyful. Yeah, your kids are going to do that. Like your job might do that. Your wife might do that. But at the end of the day, like find a little passion in your life. 
And you got to continue to nurture that. And I don't think we do that. I think we just kind of let it fall by the wayside and we stay in that fight or flight mode way longer than we need to be. Right. Right. And then that does have detriment. Well, I'm not going to say it always, but it can and often has detrimental effects if we don't, if we're staying in that fight, flight, shut down, freeze state too long, it starts to eat away at other things. And as we kind of start to close up, there's another resource that we haven't talked about, which I think is a really, really awesome resource, something that, well, you've created. So can you kind of share this resource that you have have done and are currently doing? What is that? Well, I've written three books over the last couple of years, and I have children's books on prematurity and the NICU. Mm-hmm. So my first book actually was in response to being in the NICU, reading to my son countlessly because it, it has such a positive effect, but realizing I didn't see any stories. I looked on Google, I searched, there's nothing for preemies or NICU families. Mm. And the stuff that was out there was really more journaling, which does help. So when we were home with COVID and all stuck in there, the idea really was to create something that would be funny. So I kind of initially created you know, my social media account, Premium Adventures, and it started out with sharing funny things, creating funny things. And then other parents said, I love that. I mean, we were just talking about this the other day. And that kind of blossomed into, well, maybe I should write a book about what we went through, but also it'd be funny and about celebrating the, the wins, the milestones, mm. the good things in life that are unique to people that have preemie children. So I wrote Our Preemie Adventure, and it's a celebration, a dedication to my son. It's a dedication mm. to every family that is out there. It's a way for you to say, here's what you have to look forward to. Here's the wins that you're going to celebrate that are so unique to you that you can laugh at, you can share, you can read to your child over and over in the NICU, which is a positive. And then also you can look back later on and say, you know what? I'm not thinking about the bad days. I'm thinking about the day we came off this machine or the day we got to finally put on our first outfit Hmm. or we got to take our first bath or take our first bottle Hmm. or see their child without all the things on their face. And just Hmm. so many unique things that you don't really think about, but then you read it. And it's also in a way that a child can look at it. So when the child gets older, they can look at it and say, this is what your journey was. And it's Mm -hmm. an adventure. It's exciting. It's fun. It's funny. And I think it's something that all parents can get. And as a result of doing that, I found somebody on social media who wanted to partner with me, a a neonatologist, a doctor. He found me and he said, listen, I love educating families, but I see a huge gap. Mm -hmm. Um, So this past year, he and I partnered together. We wrote two other books. One's called Our Respiratory Adventure, a NICU, journey, a NICU story. And it talks about, again, in a funny way, but also an educational way with a doctor kind of on the bottom of each page and talks about in very layman's terms, what the, what are the machines that they're using to treat your baby? Mm. You know, why are we giving your baby, as an example, caffeine? We give babies caffeine to help with their lungs and to keep mm. them with breathing. We give them steroids. Well, why are we giving them steroids? And again, it's from the perspective of the parent, how we see the NICU in a funny way, Mm -hmm. how I perceive the different things that I saw, how a lot of other families do that I talk to. So it's a way to be able to celebrate them as well. It's a healthcare worker's opportunity to educate parents in a very easy, digestible way because Mm -hmm. they get overwhelmed. So now they can read it to their baby. They can they can sit there and look at it and say, now I know what this is and and I'm not confused and I'm mm. not getting confused when I'm talking with doctors. And it's been wonderful to do that and to partner with somebody who's passionate about that. And it's there's nothing like it out there. There's mm. no doctors and parents writing books together. 
And then we decided to write a Christmas book as well. So we wrote a, a NICU Christmas adventure hmm. and it just really, and that's again, families all over. And it's about three kids who they have siblings that are in the NICU. Some hmm. are preemies, some are not. And they write to Santa and Santa helps them hmm. get their little, you know, brothers and sisters home and have a Christmas miracle. So it's yeah. so many families celebrate so many holidays and in the NICU and yeah. it's so hard to be there. Yeah. So I wanted that to be something as well that you could read to your kids around the holidays, mm. if your family there, you know, it's something that I always wanted to write because I love the holidays and it was great to be able to write that again with Dr. Fort and to be able to give back. So we plan to write many more books. I have two or three books already kind of in the works now, and mm. it's really going to be about helping families be seen, be mm. sharing on the adventure together to be able to say, you know, you have hope. And I think that's something that's very lacking. Hmm. And I think it's good to be able to see that there's a dad that's out there writing stuff yeah. for, for things. I think that's yeah. a space you don't see a lot of dads and people doing. They're not writing things for children's books. So I think I get a lot of positive reviews from moms and dads and people that are just like, this is wonderful. And it's inspired a lot of people to start writing their own books and hmm. sharing their own stories. And I'm, I'm happy to be able to share those as well and encourage others because I think it's great to have now so many more resources than we had five years ago yeah. and hopefully in 10 years a family that goes through that will have a plethora of books that they can go through that they can read to their kid that they can not feel alone they can they can have 10 times the more resources and be feel mm. supported and i think that's really what it's about is to be able to say yeah. you know we went through this hard difficult time in our life it, it was so challenging and i i questioned god and why all this was happening. And then I realized the last few years, my purpose was to one, raise this amazing human being mm. and to get a chance to do that. But two is to take that experience and to pay it forward and help mm. others because I did get a second chance. And every day that I'm able to do that, I'm thankful for that because it's an opportunity to help another parent out. And it makes sense of the situation. Like you never, sometimes we never get an opportunity in our entire life to realize why something traumatic or difficult happened to us. And a lot of people say, well, you know, it happened for a reason or it's God's will or, you know, God works in mysterious ways. And I, for the, for one of the few times in my life, I was able to say, that's the mysterious way. Hmm. He had me go through all this stuff, endure all this stuff so that eventually I could help other people and to be able to be an advocate for parents and especially hmm. for dads to be able to say, get involved, be a dad, be an advocate get the help you need and mm. be able to move forward in your journey. And I think that's really the important part. And every person I'm able to assist in some small way, it just makes it that much better. And it pushes me that much more to really advocate and talk and, and hopefully more and more dads will. And my hope mm. is that in a while there'll be thousands of men talking about this and everybody will know about what it's like for preemies and NICU families. Mm. And maybe they'll give and they'll donate and they'll help and, you know, more positives will come from it. Yeah. Well, they'll be seen. Isolation yeah. won't be a thing. There'll be support and they'll know that it's okay to compartmentalize at times when it's needed and times to actually be open with other men and get support and be honest, right? And yep. humor and taking care of, like all those things you just said. And and I think it's so great that you're doing that and, and really feeling like in a very unique artistic way, a need within you kind of like this this world of people that live and have gone through the NICU, 
and be able to have a resource that is accessible and and then creating these other resources too with communities and organizations to say, hey, we need we need to support men in this. Men need to get involved. Even talking to the nurses or doctors, hey, ask dad how he's doing. Let's dads need to be checked in. You know, they need to be part of it. And so I think what you're doing is so beyond amazing. And so if people want to find what you're doing, if they need your resources, how can we how can we find you? How do we, you know, how do we can contact? Well, you can on social media on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find me at Premium Adventures, or you can check out premiumadventures.com. You can not only find the books there, but on premiumadventures.com, I have hundreds of resources. Every time I find a nonprofit, a resource, somebody volunteers, a book, a podcast, that's all on there. Great. Just like this podcast will be on there, I add those on so that. Parents will have a one-stop resource, and mm. if they want to add a resource, they have an organization or something that might benefit, they can reach out to me at ourpremiadventures at gmail.com or through premiadventures.com. They can message me through their social media, and I'm happy to add that if that's going to help some parent out there that get the resources yeah. they need. No, that's so, I think that's so good. I think it's just not knowing where I, not knowing where to go, where to start is yeah. And yours is like a major signpost here. It's like not you offer resources yourself, but yep. also, Hey, here's all the other stuff that I've been looking into across the U S or, or even the world of like things yep. that I know about to start with. And I think that's such a helpful thing for parents is because I, I don't know, where do I go? I don't even, I don't know, I know what to do. Where do I look? You know who? So I think that's so good. So everyone's going to be in the, it'll be in the show notes. There'll be clickable links, hyperlinks to take you to to Adam's site, to all of his socials. Reach out to him. He's a great guy. Say hi. If you need help, he will point you in the right direction. He clearly, clearly cares about this. Like, this is his heart. Like you said, like he's, this experience, I not that I don't think bad experiences ever intended, but I think we can take something that's like suffering and turn it into a purpose and turn it into kind of our drive for living. And like you said, time and time again to pay it forward, which what I'm hearing your heart's all about is to really to help others and say, wow, I'm taking this awful, awful, terrifying, scary, isolating experience coming out of this. I now have this perspective and mission in life to help those to make ease their suffering even a little bit, and hopefully 10, 20, 50, 100 years down the road, this will continue to grow and kind of be a legacy. So Adam, I thank you so much, and I just you know, wish you just continued blessing and strength and you know, doors opening and encouraging all those things to keep doing just what a, an important work that you're doing. So thank you, and have a wonderful night. Thank you. I appreciate it, Travis. Thanks for joining and listening today. Please leave a comment and review the show. Dads are tough, but not tough enough to do this fatherhood thing alone.